I hope you'll just allow me to say how blessed and thankful uh, my wife, son and I are for our time here. I'm very thankful for the pastor's conference. It's been such a help and encouragement and blessing to me. I'm thankful for, for you, for Trinity Baptist Church. Thankful for your fellowship, your prayers, your friendship. And I can truly say that we have been blessed. Blessed over these last number of years, but, but this time here, this last few weeks, just been with you. The Lord has been truly kind. Let's turn to God's word. If you have a Bible, please would you turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 13 to 17. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, and verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptised by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what is righteousness well the word used here means that which is right that which is true that which is fair that which is just that which is good and do you know anyone who is right and good and true and fair Perhaps I should ask the question, do you know anyone who is always right and true and good and fair? Do you know someone who is always the one who does the right thing? Do you know someone who always treats people fairly and truthfully and kindly and lovingly? Someone who never lies or deceives? Is anyone like that? Now that is what Jesus is talking about here, righteousness. And if we want to understand what's just happened here in these few verses, John baptizing Jesus 
a dove coming to rest on Jesus and a voice from heaven speaking of Jesus, I believe the answer lies in these words, to fulfill all righteousness. Being a parent, and I haven't been a parent for long, I find it, this fulfilling all righteousness, very challenging. I ask myself, have I been fair with my son? Have I been a good dad? Have I done the right thing? Have I behaved as I should? And I know there have been times when I failed. Perhaps you might think back to a time when your mother or father gave you a, as we say in England, a telling off. They reprimanded you for something. Did they always get it right? There may have been a time when you felt, I didn't do that. That's not fair. They're wrong. And they may have been. None of us can get everything right. None of us can fulfill all righteousness. I remember someone once saying to me, I think this life is a test. God has put us on this earth to see if we will pass it. Now the problem is, is that is true. None of us can pass that test. None of us can pass the righteousness test. I remember at school, at high school, my first year, and it was the end of year exams, and Karen Richardson, not her real name, um, just in case, <laughs> but she got 100% in mathematics, or would you say math? 100%. She definitely passed that test. Now, maybe you have got 100% in an exam, but none of us can get 100% in the righteousness exam. But Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. He came to be righteous 100%. And that can make a difference in each of our lives. That can change everything. And Matthew, in his gospel, this gospel of Matthew, he's telling us a story. It's the story of a king, Jesus, and he is a righteous king. And he came to save because we keep failing in this matter of righteousness. We don't live up to what God wants. At the beginning of his gospel, Matthew tells of Jesus' family tree and how he comes from royalty. He tells of Jesus' birth and how it was miraculous, of men coming from far away to worship him. He tells of John the Baptist, who's been saying, get ready for the king. But now this king has come. He's here. And in this gospel, these are this king's first words as recorded by Matthew. Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And to fulfill that righteousness, Jesus wants to be baptised. 
There are actually three things that happen here. And it's all to do with Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. There is the baptism of Jesus. There is the appearing of the Holy Spirit as a dove. And there is the voice of the Father from heaven. And did you notice we have Jesus the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Father. These are the three persons of the Trinity. We believe in one God, and he is a triune God. And he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three persons are here telling us that Jesus the King is here to fulfill all righteousness. I want us to consider these three events concerning the three persons of the Trinity, the baptism of the Son, the appearing of the Holy Spirit, and the words of the Father, and how this changes everything. Firstly, we have the baptism of the Son. We're told in verse 13 that Jesus comes from Galilee, where he grew up, and he comes to the Jordan River to be baptised by John. Now, what is baptism? The word is literally translated from the Greek word baptizo, which means to submerge, to immerse. So like a submarine that submerges into the water. It means to be covered over. People are coming to John so he can baptize them in the River Jordan. And that's how John has got his name, his nickname, the Baptist. He's been baptizing them in water. And baptism is a picture of getting washed clean of all the wrong things they have done and coming out of the water into a new life. That's baptism. And they want their sins washed away. They want a new life in Jesus. But here is Jesus wanting to be baptised. Now, has Jesus done anything wrong? Does he need his sins to be washed away? Does he need this baptism to symbolise his sins being washed away? When people have examined Jesus' life, when they've looked at all that's been recorded about Jesus, they've found a life that was 100% righteous. He has been true and kind and fair and faithful and just and right. He has passed the righteousness test. And many who have studied his life, even atheists, as they would call themselves, non-Christians, they've come away marvelling, amazed at this righteous life. One person said this, Jesus Christ is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history. Everything he ever said or did has value for us today. And that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. There is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or reject him. <coughs> Excuse me. Now that was, I understand, a man called Sholem Ash. 
He was a Polish Jewish novelist and a playwright who by all accounts was not a Christian, yet said such words. Somebody else said, a man who was completely innocent. That was Mahatma Gandhi, who was no Christian, but an Indian political leader. <clears throat> and this is what Fyodor Dostoevsky, a Russian novelist, said. I believe there is no one deeper, lovelier, more sympathetic and more perfect than Jesus. Not only is there no one else like him, there never could be anyone like him. No one righteous like him. And if you've never really studied Jesus's life, then I urge you to do so. There is no one else like him. And his righteous life has changed millions of lives, of millions of not righteous lives. And long before those people I quoted said those things about Jesus, John the Baptist says this in verse 14, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? And he's saying the same thing in a sense that the people through the ages would say, Jesus, you are righteous. And why are you getting baptised? Baptism is for people who are not righteous, who want to be washed clean of their unrighteousness. Baptism is a picture of what we all need in our lives. We need to be washed clean of our sin. But not Jesus. John lived at the same time as Jesus. He could tell you if Jesus was good and true and fair and kind if he was righteous. He could tell you if he did things right. And John knew Jesus was all these things. He knew Jesus was 100% righteous. That's why John says he can't baptise Jesus. Baptism is for people who don't get things right. People like you and me, we need our sins washed away. We need a new life and try our best, but we won't pass the righteousness test. And John knew that about himself. And that's why he's saying that Jesus needs to baptize him. John, like everyone, needs cleansing into a new life. Jesus has no sins to confess or be forgiven of. John's baptism was for those who wanted to be ready for Jesus the King. People want to turn away from their sins, to repent of them. So why would King Jesus need to be baptised? He has no sin. He is 100% righteous. And yet Jesus is saying to fulfil all righteousness, he needs to be baptised. What is going on? What does Jesus mean? Jesus had no sin, no sin of his own, and yet, and let me say this carefully, and don't just then close your ears after I finish this sentence, he did have sin, not his own, ours. Jesus, unlike us, was 100% righteous, but he came into this world from heaven to be like us, but without sin, and to save us, from our not righteousness. He was identifying with us 
in our humanity and our need. Water baptism is a picture of us getting clean of our sin. We need to be clean. So when Jesus went down into the water of the Jordan River, the opposite happened. It wasn't a picture of him getting clean. It was a picture of Jesus taking on our sin, our dirt, being submerged in all that filth of ours, of all who will trust in him. He submerges, he immerses, he baptizes, as it were, himself in our sin and the judgment and the death that we deserve from it. He takes it on to save us out of it. Um, in May 2012, Martin Davis, 44 years old, fell 40 feet into a tank of nitric acid while working on the roof of a metal tube manufacturing plant in Clifton, New Jersey. He was in severe danger as he became fully submerged in the waste high liquid. But then as the report that I read detailed, his colleague, Rob Knuckles, jumped into the tank after him, submerging himself in that deadly nitric acid and then pulling Martin Davis out with the help of three other colleagues. Rescue workers cut Martin Davis out of his clothes, doused him in water to limit burns, and he was later airlifted to hospital. He'd sustained a broken rib, a punctured lung, and burns on his legs and side in the fall. But he'd been pulled out. He'd been saved out. He was saved by his co-workers. It was Rob Knuckles who jumped in, submerged himself in the acid, who pulled him out, saved him from a terrible death. Rob Knuckles, who suffered burns on his legs and abdomen, refused to say anything after the incident, but told firefighters, I had to get him out of there. It was Jesus who submerged himself in our filth, our sin, our lies, our deception, our envy of others, our gossip, our stabbing others in the back, our lustful looks at another's wife, our angry thoughts and words, our bitterness, our jealousy, the nitric acid of our sin. And he submerged himself in our death, what we deserved, hell. When he went to the cross in order to lift us out of it, in getting baptised then by John, he was picturing his death for us, what he would do for the not righteous. Not long before his final trip to Jerusalem, Jesus would tell his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, but I have a baptism to be baptised with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. That's what happened at the cross a baptism of death for the not righteous. The pastor and writer J.R. Miller says, the shadow of the cross fell on the green banks and on the flowing river Jordan, and it fell also across the gentle and holy soul of Jesus as he stood there. He knew what that baptism meant, to what it had reduced him, what its end would be, yet knowing all, he voluntarily came to be baptised, thus accepting the mission of redemption.
So in this water baptism, Jesus wants to identify with us, show us that he's taking on our sin and the death and the judgment that we deserve. As someone put it, whatever drop of water might have entered into his mouth was the taste of the cup of God's wrath, which he would drink in full measure on the cross. On the cross, Jesus submerged, baptised himself in that death for us. Jesus is saying to John and to all of us who turn to him, your sin is mine, your punishment is mine, your death is mine. I will take it on, I will immerse, submerge, be covered with your sin, your punishment, your death. So baptise me, John. I'm showing you what I will do. I have to fulfil all righteousness. Do you know then this Jesus? Have you trusted in him as the one who has been baptised in this death for you? Do you know those sins forgiven? And if so, are you now walking in that forgiveness, seeking to live righteously? Jesus came to fulfil all righteousness, and so he was baptised. But there's more here. Secondly, the appearing of the Holy Spirit. The appearing of the Holy Spirit also confirms that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. Let's consider what this means. We're told in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water and at that moment the heavens were opened and he, Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, why did God the Holy Spirit come as a dove? Now, some have said that there is symbolism here, meaning here in coming as a bird, as a dove. Each morning, when either my wife or I go to our son to raise him out of his bed, although he's usually already up, but we usually, I, I would sometimes stand him on the windowsill and look out of the window and notice the birds. In fact, my wife and son have become something of bird watchers. Um, they're becoming quite the experts. It's a pastime that's common, uh, particularly in the United Kingdom. And one can see the wonder of God's creation in the birds. And uh, I would encourage you to, to even take it up. The founding fathers of the United States selected the eagle as the emblem of the nation. The fierce beauty and proud independence of this great bird symbolize the strength and freedom of America, the symbolism in that eagle. And let me add that the symbol of Poland is also an eagle. It represents courage and freedom, and that's why sometimes, sometimes the Polish flag will have a white eagle on it. But you find symbolism elsewhere amongst the birds, that the lark is used as a symbol of humility and modesty. Cranes are seen to represent love 
and loyalty. And in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 10, verse 16, we're told what the dove symbolizes. Jesus tells us, be innocent as doves. For Jesus, doves represent innocence. And some believe then that the Holy Spirit specifically came in the form of a dove to represent this innocence and purity, this righteousness. The Holy Spirit came to equip Jesus in being that pure, innocent and righteous one. Now Jesus as God was righteous. He's always been righteous. When he became like us, he didn't stop being God and he was still fully God in every way. Yet as a man, in his humanity, the Holy Spirit was coming to strengthen and help him. And after his baptism, where did the Lord Jesus go? But into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he would need the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. But unlike Adam in the Garden of Eden, unlike any of us here, Jesus didn't fail in being righteous. He was tempted, but he resisted the temptation and he fulfilled all righteousness. The Holy Spirit came to equip him and anoint him. That is to confirm that Jesus is the righteous king. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed with oil, affirming that they were the chosen one. But here is the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus. And it was as though God, the Holy Spirit, was saying, he is the one. He is the chosen one. And that's why, as we're told in Luke's gospel, in chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, Jesus went into the synagogue. He opened the Old Testament, Isaiah, chapter 60, and read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We are all oppressed. We are weighed down by our sin. And you might want to deny that, but that is the truth. None of us are righteous enough for God. And the Holy Spirit came to strengthen and equip and anoint Jesus as a man to be the pure and innocent and righteous one, to be righteous in our place. A recurring dream that I have, not often, but it, it returns from time to time is that I still have some exams to take usually at high school if not my degree it's almost as if I haven't finished I've still got something more to do and uh, it's either what we would call in the UK A levels our final exams at high school or is my degree and it, it isn't a welcome dream um, I, I am dreaming that I haven't passed them it, it's a horrible dream some people love taking exams. You may be one of them. I never enjoyed taking them. I don't enjoy taking them. Wouldn't it have been convenient if someone else took them for me? I wouldn't have had the stress of having to, to, to prepare and go for them, or I wouldn't have the bad dreams. 
but that wouldn't have been fair that wouldn't have been right someone else doing it in my place so i put in the work i worked hard i got through but when it comes to the exam of life none of us pass when we die and appear before god none of us have passed and and you you may think you're you're not that bad you're okay you you may think well god will look at me and say well i've not been like that other person i'm not that bad but there is none of us that are able to pass the test and that's why jesus came he came in our place to pass the righteousness test so god the holy spirit was confirming and equipping jesus as the righteous king to save people so that they might begin their lives again that they might begin their lives in him forgiven and every one of us needs the lord jesus and don't think it will be all right on the day when you meet god thinking i've done just en about enough i'm not that bad i'm not as bad as some i've been reading the second part of a new biography of the missionary and writer elizabeth elliot entitled being elizabeth elliot and she writes of the time she was with a non-christian friend of hers the famous american photographer cornell kappa and at one one point he says to her when i die i'll admit what i knew all along to god you are big and i am small and i hope i didn't insult you too much then he will or he will not accept me isn't that so foolish that's so foolish he's really thinking perhaps it will be all okay maybe i'm 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 not as righteous as some but maybe i'm just about righteous enough and god might just accept me but he isn't righteous enough no one is only jesus he's the one he's the righteous king trust him jesus came to fulfill all righteousness to save us that is why he got baptized that is why the holy spirit came down on him as a dove and that is also why we have thirdly the words of the father we're told that as soon as jesus was baptized and went up out of the water not only did the spirit come down on him like a dove but as verse 17 tells us suddenly a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased this was god the father the first person of the triune god speaking of his son jesus and he is well pleased with his son have you ever been really well pleased with something maybe you put in some work at school and thought yep i'm i'm really pleased 
with that. I think I, I've, I've got that sorted. If I don't get a good mark for that, I'll be really disappointed. You're well pleased. Maybe you've gone out to play a soccer match and at the end of the game, you're pretty worn out, but you're also pretty pleased with yourself. It was a good game. And maybe at work, you've come home and you felt that was a good day. I'm well pleased with myself. Or maybe you've just baked something and it's the first time you've used this recipe and the cakes have come out great. You're well pleased. I think Karen Richardson's parents were well pleased with her 100% mark in her math exam. But there will have been exams that Karen Richardson didn't get 100%. There'll be soccer games which will go really bad. You will have a bad day at work. And there will be things you take out of the oven which won't look exactly how you planned. There'll be times when things didn't go that well. And when it comes to our life, whether we've been kind or fair or good or loving or righteous, if we're honest, there'll be many times when there's a little to be well pleased about. The reason why life really isn't like a maths test or a soccer game or making a cake is this matter of sin. We all have it. We're not right. And it prevents us from passing that righteousness test 100%. We can't please God. We can't please God that he will say to us, I'm well pleased with you. And we may try our best at being good and right and pure and kind, at being righteous, but sooner or later, we mess up. We might lose our temper or get irritable, lose our patience or think that wrong thought, that wrong thought about someone or say the wrong thing or not do something that we should do. The list is endless. We just can't pass the righteousness test. My life really is a bit like some of my school reports. Peter is diligent, tries hard, yet he could have done this better. Yet. Our lives have that yet. We miss the mark. We can't please God that we can get that pass for heaven. But there is one who doesn't fail, Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is the son of God. That's his title as the second person of the triune God. But there's something more here when God the Father calls him his son and calls him his beloved son. Jesus is everything we were meant to be. We are God's children for he made us. He's our creator, but we failed him. And our life report has that word yet 
in it. We haven't lived that good and kind and true and loving and righteous life that we should have done as children of God. And because of that, we've, we've failed to get that admission to heaven. We've failed to pass the test. So Jesus has come from heaven and God is saying that Jesus is everything that God is. And he's also everything that we were meant to be. And he has come for us to save us. And when the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, God is taking some words from Psalm 2 and verse 7 about the son who is the righteous king. And he's taking some words from Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 about the one who comes as a servant to suffer. That's Jesus. The king comes to suffer. The son of God comes from heaven to this earth to suffer for us. That's how he shows his righteousness. That's what he did when he was on this earth. When others hated him, he loved them back. When others treated him unjustly, he treated them fairly. When others were cruel, he was kind. When others were bad, he was good. That's how Jesus was, always doing the right thing, always righteous, and it cost him. He suffered. It cost him because it took him to die on a cross. It took him to submerge and take on all our sin and all that shame, all that guilt, and then all the judgment and punishment that our sins deserve. You may or may not be familiar with the film Spartacus. It's a 1960 American historical epic film inspired by the true story of Spartacus, the leader of a slave revolt against the Romans in the first century BC before Christ and in one of the final scenes of the film after the army of Roman slaves led by Spartacus is defeated in battle by legions of the Roman army a Roman general stands before the captured surviving members of the slave army and demands that they turn over Spartacus or else all the former slaves will be executed and upon hearing this, and not wanting his friends to be executed, Spartacus stands up and says, I am Spartacus. But the loyalty of his friends is so great that one of them stands forward and shouts, I am Spartacus. And then another stands up shouting, I am Spartacus, until thousands and thousands of former slaves are shouting, I am and Spartacus. All of them identify with Spartacus and not knowing which, one, which of them is Spartacus, impressed by the loyalty and spies in his army. The Roman general has all the slaves crucified in a miles-long display alongside, alongside the Appian Way leading back to Rome. With Jesus, it's the other way round. He identifies with us. 
he identifies with thousands and thousands and thousands of not righteous people. And Jesus is saying, I am for this sinner. I am for that sinner. I am for you. I am for you. And he is nailed to the cross for their crimes, our crimes, our unrighteousnesses, our hates, our envy, our lies, our lusts, our petty jealousies, our bitter thoughts, our not right lives. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, their sins. Jesus, righteous Jesus, carries our wrongs, submerges himself into that death. And God the Father was well pleased with him because he was the only one who did everything that God wanted him to do and then died for us to save us. He kept what we could not keep and he bore the wrong that we did. And that is the good news. And God can be well pleased with you if you are in Jesus, if you trust in him. God loves his son, he's his beloved son. And if you are in Jesus, trusting in his righteousness, God loves you. By Jesus' blood and righteousness, you are beloved. And not by what you have done, but by what Jesus has done. I, what can I say but trust him? Turn to him. And, and turn from your unrighteousness. Turn from your foolishness. And Jesus will cleanse you. He'll make you new. And by his spirit, he will enable you to live a righteous life and a life pleasing to God. Let's pray. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift my head. Oh, that each of us might with eyes of faith look to Jesus, the righteous King. Forgive us our sins. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us here now and for always. Amen.